Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Daniel, and we'll be in Daniel chapter number 5. That's where we were last time, Daniel chapter number 5. We've got a couple of more chapters, and then we'll be digging into the really tough stuff, into the prophecies of Daniel, and uh, I'm looking forward to it in a way and dreading it in a way, but, but I'm excited to see what what the Lord will teach us through that, through that time. But there's some really good stuff here too. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, the whole book of Daniel is in what genre? It's in the genre of prophecy. It's a prophetic book. And so we want to look for prophecy. I think Daniel wrote this book as a book of prophecy and he has prophetic intent in all of it. And so even in the text we'll be looking at tonight, we'll see, man, is there some kind of prophetic thing that, that applies to to maybe myself or to, to our nation, and I, I think we'll see there is uh, when we finish up on this text in chapter 5 tonight. Uh, when we left off last time, if you remember, uh, the Medes and Persian armies had surrounded the city of Babylon. It's 539 uh, B.C. It's been 70 years since uh, Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem and sent the Jews into captivity, and and he's long dead. He's been dead for 23 years. A couple of his sons have had power. And, and uh, at the time we come to tonight's text, there were actually two men that were ruling Babylon. One was Nabonidus, and the other was uh, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son. And Nabonidus is, has been captured by the Persian army, and so he's not on the scene. He was first in charge, and that puts Belshazzar in charge. And, and uh, uh, he seems to be, you know, feeling pretty good about the situation. Even though there's thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of soldiers who have surrounded the city, he feels pretty safe. And so what, you remember what he did? What did he do? He threw a party. And, uh, you know, they drank hard liquor and, and praised their god of Baal, their god Baal. See, Baal is, is probably a form of the god Baal. And, and same, same God, it's, who is it? Ultimately, it's the devil, isn't it? That's what they were doing. They were involved in devil worship. And, and if that weren't enough, you remember what they did? They took the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had ransacked out of the temple that were in storage, and they brought them out to this party, and they began, this party's this big orgy with all of these lords, all of these pagan lords worshiping their pagan gods. And so by doing this, they're lifting up their God and profaning the God of Israel. They're profaning Yahweh or Jehovah. And so, you know, I think at this point, um, as I said last week, God looks down and he says, enough is enough. And so what happens? Do you remember what happened? A hand appears upon the wall and it writes four words. Many, many, tekel, euphorism. Four words. And they, they're Arabic words, but they don't make any sense together. And so Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know exactly what they mean, but obviously it's a supernatural event that takes place as these words are written on the wall, and he's shaken by what takes place. He's shaken so much, you remember, that he turned pale and his knees begin to knock together. And so he was pretty scared. And so what did he do? He cried out, 
And he cried out, he said, bring me the soothsayers, bring me the sorcerers, bring me the, the wise men, and bring me all the, all the wise men in Babylon, and I need an interpretation for what these four words mean. So he brought the four, he, not the four, he brought the wise men in, all the wise men of Babylon that were under uh, his control. He brought them in, and they looked up at the four words, and and they couldn't figure out what the meaning of the four words were. What did this phrase mean, these many, many tekel euphorsin? Well, when they couldn't interpret it, he was even more troubled. He even turned paler. And so his mother, the queen mother, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, probably Nebuchadnezzar's wife, uh, realized or heard that, that uh, her son was really distraught. And so she comes in and she tells him about this man who had served uh, Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, and she tells him about him, and she said, he's a holy man of the true and living God. He's a, he's a wise man who, who the, living, the real God lives in. Uh, and, and, and he can give you this interpretation. And so we know who that guy is. It's Daniel. Daniel is still living in the city. He's probably in semi-retirement. He's not considered one of the wise men anymore, but, but he's still there. So they, they go out and they summon Daniel, and Daniel comes, and he speaks to Belshazzar, and this is what he says. And this is where we're going to pick up tonight. Verse number 15. He says, now the wise, this is what, this is Belshazzar speaking to Daniel. He says, now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you. Actually, I think he knew Daniel. I think when he was a little boy, he had seen Daniel. But Daniel's been long gone. And he says, I've heard of you from my mother that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing on the wall and make it known to me and its interpretation... You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Actually, he would be second ruler because Nabonidus has already been captured. Belshazzar is, is in charge. He's number one now, and so uh, that would make him second in command in all of Babylon. Now, Daniel's been in really almost like an exile in the city. When evil Murdoch took over as for his father, when Nebuchadnezzar died, he banished all the wise men that worked for Nebuchadnezzar, and he brought in a whole new group. And, and then some other kings came in. But Daniel just, you know, he went off. He sort of retired. And he said, you know, I'll wait. Because when God needs me, he knows where I'm at. And uh, if he needs me, he can find me. And so, you know, he just kind of humbly went off the scene. And there could have been, I'm sure there were opportunities for him to barter to get his position back when some of the other kings came into power. But he never did that. He just, he said, why didn't he do that? Because he was a servant of God, not a servant of these kings. And when God needed him, he knew God knew where to find him. And so... So uh, he, he just, he went off the scene. Now, there's a lesson there for us. I mean, 
there's sometimes, I don't know what situation you're in in your life, but, but uh, you know, everybody wants to serve God, but sometimes it seems you're banished. You know, you're banished to some meaningless job. Uh, it, it's as if you've been forgotten by God. But God hasn't forgotten you. I mean, he's left you, he's left every single one of us on this earth for a purpose. And when the time comes, he knows just how what he has to do to pluck us out of obscurity and use us for his kingdom work. And so I believe he has a work for every willing child of God, a, a, a great work. It might not seem like a great work, but it will be a great work. He has that for everybody. And so you roll them through your life and your life seems to be meaningless. Well, guess what? God knows where you're at. And when the time comes, if you're willing, God's going to be able to use you. He has you here for a purpose. He didn't need you here. He'd take you out of here. So, so just wait. Uh, and this seems to be the time for Daniel. Here's Daniel. He's, you know, in obscurity at this point. But uh, now uh, he's needed. He's needed to explain this writing on the wall. And, and if he can explain it, he'll be the third ruler, or really the second ruler, over Babylon. What an honor, right? Not really. Not, Nabonidus is captured. Belshazzar isn't going to make it through the night. And uh, that, that whole kingdom's going to collapse. And so uh, it's, not, it's not really much of a reward. But, and listen to what Daniel says. Then Daniel answered in verse number 17, and he said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. I don't want your stuff. And give your rewards to somebody else. Yet... I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. And so I have no doubt that God's the one who's placed Daniel here and God's brought him in to give this interpretation. And Daniel had no doubt of that. That's why he said, look, I can give you the interpretation. I know exactly what those four words on the wall mean. And then in verse number 18, he says, O king, the most high God, who's the most high God? Jehovah God. The God that you profane this very night, the most high God, he gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. Do you, all, you remember back a chapter ago when Nebuchadnezzar was rebuked by God, when he was given that dream and he told, was told that he was going to live like a beast for seven years and he was going to lose his kingdom? What? How did Daniel handle that? Very kindly and very gently. Because he saw something in Nebuchadnezzar that gave him hope that Nebuchadnezzar could get saved. And so he, he, treated, him, he treated him with empathy. He felt sorry for him. He said, I wish this was going to happen to your enemies. I wish it wasn't going to happen to you. But the reason I bring that up, compare that to the tone of the way he addresses Belshazzar. And I think there's a lesson there. You know, God puts it on your heart. If there's a situation where you can really help somebody, God's going to put you in a relationship with that person, and you're going to have, you're going to have sympathy, sympathy for those people, and you're going to see some hope. You're going to see some light in them that can maybe, you know, be turned into a glowing light, into a relationship with the Lord. But there are others that God's going to put in your life that you just know. Man, I ain't... 
and that's not a, for us to judge, but you just know that I'm, if I, you know, if I say something to them, it's a really, I'm casting pearls to swine. I mean, I didn't say that. The Lord said that. But you know, you know those situations where there's hope. And boy, when you get that situation where there is hope, you want to jump all over it. But in this situation right here, he, he knows Belshazzar is toast. He knows Belshazzar's destination is more than likely hell. And he's profaned the God most high. And he really doesn't, he's not going to get a second chance. So, so listen to the tone. He says, O king, the most high God, the one you profaned this very night, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. He wasn't a real nice guy. He executed whomever he, whomever he wished he kept alive. He had a lot of power. God gave him a lot of power. Whomever, whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, you were there, Belshazzar. That's, that's what he's, where he's heading with this. You were there, and you saw that he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of man. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with, dew, with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of man. He was able to learn that, that he wasn't God, that Jehovah is God, and appoints, whoever, appoints over it whomever he chooses. And Belshazzar, you were around when this happened. You saw this happen to your father. I saw you there. I know you were there. You should have learned the same lesson your father learned. But you didn't learn that lesson. You should have learned that Jehovah God is the God most high. And he raises up kings and he brings down kings for his purposes. And when they no longer serve his purposes... You can better believe he's going to bring them down. But you didn't learn from that experience. You know, there's an accountability to all of us, especially if we hang around the people of God. Especially if we hang around people who love the Lord. There's an accountability there that recognize that Jehovah is God. And, and we need to learn from that. And, it, you know, and we see that. And you refuse to learn from his experience. Y'all remember when Tim Tebow was doing miracle after miracle after miracle. It got so, you, you could watch the, the announcers after the game and they were just like, that was supernatural what just happened. But did they learn from that? Did they learn anything about from Jehovah God? Not, I, I don't know that any of them did. Maybe, maybe some did. it. I don't think God would have done it if there wasn't somebody that was going to learn from it. I think some fans learned from it. But there's a responsibility. When you see a miracle like that and you see God working through somebody, there's a responsibility. I mean, that was a miracle that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he was thrown out into the wilderness for seven years. He lived like an animal. And he was brought back by God and placed upon his throne. What a lesson. That showed that Jehovah's God, he lifts up kings and he brings kings down. Okay, Belshazzar, now you're king. You should have learned that lesson. Verse 22, but, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. 
Although you knew all of this. You knew what you should do, but you never did it. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven by bringing these vessels of his house before you, and you have, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver, the gods of gold, and bronze, and iron, and wood, and stone, and Baal, which you do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways. That's true for the pagan. That's true for the Christian. He's sovereign over the affairs of every single person on this earth. You have not glorified. You know, I have no doubt, and I don't think Daniel had any doubt either, that Belshazzar knew who the living God was. He just didn't want to serve the living God. It's a lot easier to create your own God. It's a lot easier to serve gods of wood and silver and stone because those gods, you can tell those gods what to do. And those gods, you can, you can do whatever you want to do in their presence. I mean, you can have an orgy in their presence like they were having. You can't live like that in the presence of Jehovah God. And so he knew better. He knew better, and so he chose to worship Baal, a god of his choosing. It's like, that's it's what's going on right in America today. I mean, people, even people who say they worship Jesus Christ have created their own Jesus Christ. They say they worship God, they've created their own God. They don't understand that Jesus is God, and that the God of the Old Testament who says certain things are an abomination to him, is the same as the God of the New Testament. And he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if you kind of start saying that he doesn't, that those things are not an abomination to him, that he's okay with that, that he's changed, well, I got news for you. You got a different God. If you've got a God who didn't create this universe by his word, because my Bible says by faith, you know, we know that, that God created by his word the things that are visible out of the things that are invisible. If you don't, if you don't believe that, and your God didn't do it that way, you worshiping Baal, you're not worshiping Jehovah God. Because Jehovah God did do it that way. And so, Belshazzar, he just, he never wanted to embrace the truth. And, and so, Daniel, instead of being concerned for him like he was his father, he just, he just issues the verdict. I mean, he issues the verdict and he speaks uh, the voice of God. Look at verse number 24. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this, verse 25, and this is the inscription that was written, many, many, tekel, yusfarsen. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Now, let me tell you what that means. This is the interpretation of each word. Many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. I mean, you've been given a chance to repent, just like your father, and you didn't repent, and now that grace period is over. As Kevin O'Leary says in Shark Tank, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You've been given a chance, and you haven't taken it. And 
you're dead meat. And you think he was pale before he got this word? You think his knees were knocking before he got this word? They're really knocking now. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You got, you got, you've got no substance. Your father had substance. You, I mean, this is harsh stuff. You're not worth saving. That's, that's what he's saying there. You're of no use or value to God. So therefore, judgment has been passed on you. Now, God wouldn't do that to anybody but Belshazzar, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Paris, that's the same for, form, uh, that's a form of the same word, euphorism, uh, which means, it means divided. He says, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You've lost your kingdom. Belongs to somebody else. Look at Belshazzar's response in verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that, that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Great deal. I would have said, so what? Don't you, didn't you hear what I just said? You've been found wanting. You've been judged by God. Your kingdom's been divided. Your kingdom is absolutely worthless. What you're offering me and telling me you're going to give me is nothing. And, I, and I probably he would have died if he had said that. So, so he did the wise thing and he took the stuff. But uh, uh, it wasn't going to last, the reward wasn't going to last long because look at the very next verse. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. I mean, as I said last week, while they were having their party, the Medes and the Persians were outside the gates, out along the banks of the Euphrates River that ran through the middle of the city. That was one of their defenses. They could drink the water, but no army could come through the middle of the city. And so they dammed up the Euphrates and diverted the water around the city, and it dried up the riverbed. And this is historical fact, and that very night they marched their armies into Babylon, and that very night Belshazzar and those lords who had profaned God were slain. So the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar's, from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, remember the head of gold, which was Babylon? It's gone now, just as the vision said it would. And now we have the arms and chest of silver, which represent the Mede and the Persian Empire. And then the last verse in chapter number five, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. He received, it was divided up. Darius the Mede, who was the king of the Medes, received the province of Babylon. Some of the other part was divided up and given to the Persians. They had this alliance where they went in and destroyed Babylon. And Darius the Mede was about 62 years old when all of this took place. 
Let me, let me correct one thing I said last week. When, Demerit did, when Darius brought his armies into Babylon, he didn't burn the entire city down. He burned down part of the city. And that's what you see in that prophecy of Jeremiah where it said the Medes come in to destroy Babylon. They destroyed, they destroyed the empire, for sure. All of the leadership, uh, the king was destroyed. Part of the city was destroyed. But the final destruction of Babylon did not take place until Alexander the Great came in. And he destroyed the rest of the city. There was a little bit standing even to around uh, 100 B.C. And then the rest of it was destroyed uh, by the Romans at that time. But, but uh, most of it was destroyed by Alexander the Great. But now you have Darius, uh, the Mede who's taken charge of the city of Babylon. And he's a foreigner. And he's going to rule the people of Babylon. So it would make a lot of sense that he would tie up or hook up with some of the wise men of Babylon. And more than likely, he wouldn't want to hook up with any Babylonians because I doubt they would be loyal to him. So probably the perfect guy one of the perfect people to make one of his rulers, one of his confidants, would be Daniel. And that's exactly what happens. Daniel becomes one of three governors of that Babylonian province. And we'll look at that story uh, next time. But uh, this kind of sets up chapter number six. So Daniel's going Daniel's to be back in action, uh, back in, in the government and in, in, in a very powerful place when we pick up in chapter number six next time. Now, as we finish up, uh, just a couple of things that I want to talk about, kind of tie this together, find some application for it. Remember what I said in the introduction. What, what kind of book is Daniel? It's a book of prophecy. And so, we want to look for prophecy throughout the book, and I believe that God is speaking prophetically in this handwriting on the wall. I believe he definitely was speaking prophetically. I believe he was speaking prophetically of all nations, every nation, including the United States of America, every single nation. At some point, the handwriting's on the wall. At some point, your days are numbered. God, when God formed the United States of America through our founding fathers, and I have no doubt he was sovereign over every bit of that, he knew exactly how long this country would exist before it fell. He knew exactly how long. He knows now when we're going to fall. So, you know, we don't have to sit and say, oh, man, God's up there. Man, what's going to happen to America? He knows exactly what's going to happen to America. He knows when it's going to happen to America. Every nation that's ever existed on this earth, their days have been numbered by the Lord. And as long as they serve the Lord's purposes and they're not totally corrupted, then they got some, number, they got some days left. But you got many, many numbered, and then you got tekel. Every nation is weighed. 
to see if they have any substance. To see if they're worthy of continuing on as a nation. Or maybe they become so corrupt that they can only do evil anymore. They can only serve evil purposes anymore. And when that day comes, and God knows when that day is, he's numbered those days. Then that nation is going to come down. God used Rome. That was a pagan nation. He used it as long as he could use it. Then he brought it down when he was ready to bring it down. I mean, you look at England and the power England had, the power the Ottoman Empire had. And you watch God moving these chess pieces. These nations are rising and falling like dominoes right now. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Because they're all, their days are numbered. Every nation's days are numbered, and every nation is weighed. And then when it becomes so corrupt that God can't use it, then it's divided. It's conquered, and it's divided, and it's given to somebody else. I mean, could the handwriting on the wall apply to the United States of America? And it wouldn't surprise me at all if our president was sitting one day in his office and a hand came down from heaven and wrote, many, many tekel, you farzen. You've been numbered. You've been weighed. And now this kingdom is going to come down. But wait a minute, man. What a mighty fortress we are. What a mighty fortress. You know, nobody could penetrate the United States of America. That's almost laughable now. I mean, you look at what just one president has done to, to dismantle our defenses in eight years. Uh, our enemies could come in here overnight. It could happen. It could happen as we go about our business tomorrow. The ho hopefully, the days aren't numbered yet. I mean, hopefully, we hadn't reached that number. I mean, the days are numbered, but hopefully, we haven't reached that number where God is done with us. Hopefully, God can. I mean, there, there's a lot of good people in this country. Not near as many as I think there were a few years back, but there's some good people in this country. There are people doing mission work, and, and the gospel's going out in this country. And, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that I believe our days are up yet. But, but I, this I do believe. If God wants to bring this nation down, we don't have enough atomic bombs to, bombs to keep him from doing it. He can do it from within. He can do it from our poorest borders. Bring an army through here to Mara to control this nation. That's, that's kind of scary. But let me, let me say this now. Let's bring us a little closer to home. I believe that prophecy applies to individuals too. Many, many tackle you farson. I know the Bible tells me that my days are numbered. And your days are numbered too. And I think, for in some way, our days are numbered based upon our usefulness to God. I mean, pagans in some way are useful to God, and Christians in some way are useful to God. I mean, John speaks in 1 John of a sin to death, a sin that, that to death, and I, I have no doubt what that sin is. It's, it's where you're weighed 
and there's no usefulness left. God can't use you anymore. And so the day, your days are numbered. And he can take, you, take us out of here. You know what? The good news is this. I know my days are numbered. But I won't be found lacking. Because my righteousness is not my own. My righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. Now, God might take me out of here early because my usefulness is gone. But not because I'm lacking in righteousness. Because I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And yeah, when I'm gone, my stuff will be divided up. You farsen. It'll be divided up. I ain't have much, but it'll, it'll be divided up. I don't really care. Because the riches that await me in glory, this stuff here on this earth doesn't compare to the least of those riches. And so I can rejoice that my days are numbered. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you that uh, you are so good to us. Lord, that by grace we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. We've been given the very righteousness of God. Lord, but our life should count for something. There should be substance in our lives. Lord, you've numbered our days, and the days we have left, Lord, they should be days used for your kingdom. Lord, we, we want to serve you as best we can till the day you take us out of here. So, Lord, I ask you to touch us all with the seriousness of this message, Lord. Especially, I don't think there's anyone here tonight who's not saved, but, Lord, what a scary message that is if you're not that at some point God's going to say enough is enough. Lord, you're going to say, I've had it, and, and, and that's it. And they're going to be taken out of here. So, Lord, we just, we just ask for mercy and grace. And the people we prayed for tonight for salvation, the people we know that are unsaved, Lord, just give them more days and, and work in their lives in a special way so that they, they can find Jesus before, before you, their time is up and before you come back. Father, again, we just thank you for your word and what you're teaching us through your word. We thank you for, through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.